Brad says sorry you can't make these guys laugh. Yeah. Well, um, we'll pray, and then this is a little closer to my voice. Yeah, we'll have about there. All right, well, we'll pray, and then we will get to work in the subject we want to talk about this evening. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your goodness and your mercy to us. Thank you for another opportunity to open up your word and to hear it speak to us. And we pray that as we think about a matter that uh, isn't often talked about, but I think is critical and is crucial, especially for us as uh, Christian men. Pray that you would help us to think biblically, to think clearly, to see the goodness of what we're going to talk about and that above all Jesus will be made much of as we put these things into practice we ask these things in Jesus name and for his sake amen amen, amen. well uh, first of all thank you for coming this evening I uh, greatly appreciate that there we go oh sugar I forgot to reconnect to my screen I will turn that back on there we go that should do it. Well, um, again, thank you for coming this evening. Really appreciate you guys being here. Uh, as I said, I think I said it on Sunday, um, we are taking a break from our verse-by-verse -verse study through the letter to the Ephesians to tackle a subject that I've actually wanted to tackle in our men's Bible study for quite some time. Um, and honestly, the right time just never came. It was just one thing after another, stuff going on. And finally, I think we're at a place where things are a lot more stable and this can be actually beneficial. Um, especially for Christian men. Really, we're the primary audience for what we're going to be talking about. As we think about this subject of family worship. And like I said when I was just praying a minute ago, this isn't a subject that gets talked about a bunch. I think there's a resurgence of it. Um, of late which I'm thankful for and so I wanted to take some time to walk through what the Bible and our fathers in the faith had to say about this subject I build this as a workshop in fact there should be there we go make sure I've got one of those pass them along um, should be a handout going around now that will help you to kind of track along I build this as a workshop because I really want this to be participatory i want to hear you know your thoughts questions that arise we want to make this as helpful as we can it's my hope to get through all the material i have and if i don't i may just record a video on this and send it because next month we can get back to studying through ephesians 1 but as we get started this evening i want to draw your attention to two passages of scripture which i think come to bear on this subject so if you have, actually three, we'll make it three passages. First one's in Genesis. We'll start there. Genesis in chapter 18. Turn that, there we go. Genesis and chapter 18. This is a single verse we're going to look at, but to give you some context, this is the story of the three visitors who came to Abraham and one of them is identified as Yahweh uh, the true God he comes and he speaks to Abraham and he promises that Abraham will have a son well the next half of that set of that chapter deals with Abraham interceding on behalf of really his nephew Lot 
who is in Sodom. But I want to draw your attention to verse 19, uh, just jumping into the context there. Genesis chapter 18 and verse 19. This is God speaking. If I don't move from verse 18 to give it some context. So verse 18. Abraham is about to become a great and powerful nation. And all the nations of the earth will be blessed through him. For I have chosen him so that he will command his children and his house after him to keep the way of Yahweh by doing what is right and just. So here is God speaking to Abraham. Abraham's hearing this. He's the audience. And yet God is saying, listen, this is the reason I'm choosing Abraham. So that. Do you see it there in the text? He will command. Initially, the idea of command there is to lead, to guide. That he would command, lead, guide his children and his house after him. To keep the way of Yahweh by doing what is right and just. God places upon Abraham this responsibility as the head of his home. To guide, lead, command, direct his family in the ways of the Lord. And this principle of heads of homes being commanded in this way fleshes itself out throughout the rest of the Bible. Text number two, Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy in chapter 6, that text we will come back to again. <coughs> Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verses 4 through 9. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. Text says, listen, Israel, Yahweh our God, Yahweh is one. Love Yahweh your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These words that I am giving you today are to be in your heart. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house, and when you lie down, and when you get up. Bind them as a sign on your hand. And let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your city gates. Again, this is God speaking. And God speaking to his people says in verse 6. That these words I'm giving you through Moses. That these words that I am giving you. Are to be in your heart. And part of how this would function to be in their heart is given in verse 7. You are to repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. The idea is that there is a constant, regular engagement with what God has said in his word. And again, this is commanded of families, not just in the church. And not just individually. There is a role that parents, especially fathers, are to play in the communication of what God has said and what God has done to the next generation. Now at this point, you may say, wait a minute, what if I'm not a father? What if I'm not a father? 
Okay. Alright, then it's you and your wife. You're a family unit. What if I'm not married? Well, great. Everything I'm about to talk about works for your daily devotions too. Start now so when you get married, you don't have to start trying to learn it after you've been married. Regardless of what station in life you find yourself in, this command that we are to have the words of God continually in our hearts and we are to talk of them regularly and to have them daily before us remains the same. Let's look at one more text in the New Testament, Ephesians chapter 6. Again, we're just laying a foundation. Some of these texts we'll come back to and do a little bit more detailed work on. But we just want to lay a foundation here. Galatians chapter 6. Ephesians, excuse me, thank you. Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. Single verse. This is that household code section that really begins all the way back in 522 where Paul is talking about what life in the spirit looks like. And he's look, here he's discussing what spirit-filled home life looks like. 6-4. Fathers. Again, please know. Then some people say, well, he's speaking generically to parents. Well, there is a generic Greek word for parent. And in other places, he speaks to mothers. He's being very specific here in using the word for a father. That's what the original audience would have naturally understood. Fathers, do not stir up anger in your children. Some of your translations will say, exasperate your children. That's the general idea of you're provoking them. In fact, that's what the King James Version says. Fathers, provoke not your children. Fathers, do not stir up anger in your children. That's negatively what you don't do. But here's what you do. But bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Those two words, training and instruction, if you're the Bible marking type, you might want to circle both of those. Uh, training and instruction, two different words. The, the word for training there is actually the word for well, what we consider teaching. The other word instruction is an interesting one. It's the word paideia. In fact, let's see if this color might not be the best, but let's see if I can make this work. Oh, interesting. It's not letting me do that. That is very weird. Okay. Let me open up my usual trusty app. Okay. The word of translation instruction there is this word, paideia. P-A-I-D-E-I-A. Paideia. This was a very technical term in the ancient world. It was literally used of curriculum that children would learn. This isn't quite the sort of... The first word carries this idea of sort of an informal communication or informal instruction. This here is a lot more detailed. It was the word that was used for children when they went to school. What they learnt was the paideia. The curriculum, if you will. If you want to use a modern... Well, this is actually a Latin term, funny enough. Carry the same idea. The curriculum, the body of teaching, as it were. If we put it that way, body of teaching. <clears throat> and Paul says that 
this is the role of fathers to bring up children in the training and the curriculum, the body of teaching that comes from the Lord. And again, I've skipped over a bunch of verses elsewhere in the Bible that we could look at that communicate the same point. That fathers have a role to play in the leadership of their homes. And I think one of the historic ways that God's people have done this has been through the practice of family worship. And that's why we're going to consider that this evening. So again, just some practical reasons why this workshop. First of all, like I said, it's a neglected subject. But the fact that it's neglected doesn't mean it's not important. And for our today, it's necessary for every man to consider this regardless of their stage of life. Regardless of where you find yourself, this is a subject that is worth knowing about. And as we've just seen, it's a biblical command. This is not a suggestion. Now, the method may differ from house to house, and we'll talk about that. I think the Bible is more focused on particular components than how you put them together necessarily. But regardless of how you do this, that you do this is clearly commanded in the scriptures, which is why we're taking time this evening to consider it. As you all know, I love my definitions. And so let's for a moment think about a definition for what we mean when we say family worship. My good friend Brett Baggett, who's a pastor in Oklahoma, penned this definition definition I thought was a very helpful one he says that family worship is the daily use of prayer scripture catechism and song by a family led by the head of the household to worship the one true God for his glory and for your good family worship is the daily use of prayer scripture catechism and song by a family led by the head of the household to worship the one true God for his glory and for your good. Unfortunately, my pen is not working. Otherwise, there's some things I'd like to highlight on there. But first of all, this is daily. This isn't something we kind of do and then don't do. The biblical norm is that this is daily. And it's, an, it's a use of particular things. So prayer, scripture, catechism and song. And this is done in the context of a family. It's led by the head of the household. Ordinarily, there will obviously be circumstances, and I'll talk through what it looks like in our home, for instance, in a little bit. There are circumstances where the head of the household can't lead it. But the idea is that, generally speaking, the one who gives leadership to this is the head of the household. And the purpose is that we would worship the one true God for his glory and for our good. Maybe I can, if I illustrate this, this might work. Let's think for a moment about the relationship between the various forms of worship that are out there. In fact, let me ask that as a question. There are three kinds of worship that we regularly engage in as God's people. Or at least I hope we do. What would we say those three are? Pull up my whiteboard again. Three kinds of worship that we regularly engage in. Okay, so I would say prayer is a component. So, and we'll come back to that component by all means. So, let's put here component. Oh, heavens, that looks terrible. Let's try that again. There we go. Um, so, let's put prayer. 
Quran in this list. Can you repeat the question? So there are three types of worship we engage in as God's people. What are those three types? I would say that's a component. I would say those are more means of worship means. than types. Oh, okay. So spiritual worship? I would say that's an attitude we bring to worship. Yeah. <laughs> so can I give one? Oh. oh. So, you read the Bible, three different kinds of worship are talked about. Yeah, I never actually really thought hmm. about that. Well, what we do in our devotions is worship. Yeah. We pray. We, hopefully, um, I hope you can engage in singing in your personal worship. I think that's a missing component, which I think is helpful. But we definitely pray. We read the word. You may be reading something alongside the word. In a sense, personally speaking, you engage in worship, I hope, every single day you have your devotional times. But then, out of that flows what we're talking about today, which is family worship. And then out of that flows what we do when we get together on a Sunday or in a home group or whatever other times the church calls for people to gather, which is corporate worship. And all three of those are intimately related. Oftentimes we kind of think, okay, what I do on my own versus what I do with my family, if I'm doing anything with my family, versus what I do in church are all disconnected. But I'm going to argue they are. They are actually very connected. The Puritan John... And Jay said it like this. He said, the more we worship God in secret, that's that personal worship, the fitter or more prepared shall we be for family worship. And the more we worship God in our families, the more prepared, the fitter shall we be for public worship or corporate worship. Makes sense, for sure. so, yeah, so you see how all three of those ought to be connected? If we're thinking in a healthy way about this, it's not, okay, I do my personal thing. And then on Sunday, that's very different. And then I might do something with my family. Oftentimes, in, especially in more contemporary evangelicalism, we tend to think that the most important of these three is the personal. I mean, how many of you grew up in churches where they told you to have a quiet time every day? Mm-hmm. Which is good. Great. You should do it. In fact, it's becoming popular to say you shouldn't. I think that's incredibly dangerous. <laughs> Good thing to do. How many of you heard an equal emphasis on family worship? I didn't even know that was a thing. Until I started reading books. <laughs> <clears throat> and of course, hopefully you're in churches where they emphasize corporate worship to some degree at least. But this middle ring, as it were, seems to get left out a bunch. And this wasn't always the case. Again, this is a Puritan writing. This oh, Our fathers in the faith understood that all three of those are important. I would say uh, during my era that uh, um, some of the scripture verses that, we, that you had us look at to kick this off were viewed more in just training for 
for life or, mm -hmm. uh, or just, you know, to be obedient to God, mm -hmm. to, to train kids to do that rather than uh, a, uh, a, a together fa a family as a, as a unit uh, worshiping together and, and by extension there's training there and mm -hmm. all that stuff too, mm -hmm. but but there wasn't um, there there that was sort of what was uh, explained mm -hmm. as what parents Christian parents' responsibility mm -hmm. was to mm -hmm. train train kids to do the right thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So again, that's an interesting <clears throat> generational perspective that I wouldn't have known unless uh, Dad right. mentioned that. Just you know. It was interesting growing up in my own family. Well, this is yeah. again, yeah. you know, in, in the U.S. In the, in the US, US, yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, it's interesting because growing up in my home, my dad tried to do it. I'll give him credit for that. He tried to do it. There really wasn't much structure to it. And I'll talk about this when, towards the end when we get to practical pointers. He also picked the worst time of the day to do it. Night. It was at night before we're ready to go to bed. Yeah. <laughs> it's like nine o'clock. Like, we all... Well, my parents have always been like late sleepers and stuff. But generally, we as kids, like we were all very early sleepers till our teens. Like nine o'clock, we're exhausted. <laughs> Plus, we've all been at school. Like, went to school at eight, came home at like four. Like, we're exhausted. It's been a long day. Go do homework, all the rest of it. And then it was, hey, now we're gonna do this for an hour and a half. You can probably tell how it went. We hated it. <laughs> I mean, we dared say it, but we generally hated it. So, in addition, it was almost expected in the tradition I grew up in that you did this. There was never any instruction on how to do it. And I'm going to say some things that if I said this in the church I grew up in, people would look at me like I'm nuts. In terms of like how long I think it should be, best things to do. Just like, why would you do that? It's basically you're doing what you do in a church service at home. Every night. You can see how that becomes unsustainable after a while. And so I think either through neglect or making it more than it should be. Which I would say are two ditches on either side of the road here. This either fell out of neglect or it became a thing that people, okay, we hear about it, but we're not going to do it. And so, what, like I said, what I want to do this evening is to encourage us to think about this. Encourage us to be excited about this. Because it does have benefit for us as God's people. So, I did have a whole section here on biblical basis for family worship. I was going to write on the screen, but we'll do this anyway. Even if I can't write on the screen. So Joshua chapter 24 verses 14 and 15 was, if you read, especially the Puritans, this was their text on this subject. Hmm. So you can read it there on the screen. Therefore, this is from Joshua's farewell speech. He's about to die. Therefore, fear Yahweh and worship him in sincerity and truth. Get rid of the gods your ancestors worshipped beyond the river, beyond, excuse me, the Euphrates River and in Egypt and worship Yahweh. Here's the text that they always went to. But if it doesn't please you to worship Yahweh, choose for yourselves today. Which will you worship? 
the gods your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates River, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. As for me and my family, literally, as for me and my house, we will serve or worship the Lord. In fact, if you look over there, above our dining table, we have those verses right there. End of verse 15. So Joshua's saying, listen, I'm about to die. Remember, Joshua is about, I want to say he's like 120, 130 at this point. He's an old man. He's been around. He knows these people. In fact, he knew their parents. And he knew what they were like. And so he said, listen, either you, the, one of the first principles the Puritans make about this is that we are called, verse 14, to serve God in sincerity. That is a command for all of creation, regenerate or unregenerate. All men are commanded to worship God. Now, they may disobey that and not do it, but they're commanded to. Another point that the Puritans made in verse 15 was that all of us worship something. So Joshua doesn't say either worship or not. The concept of an atheist or a, a religious person to Joshua would have been nuts. <laughs> because nobody was a-religious. And I'll argue the Bible says nobody is a-religious. We all worship something. Either you worship the true God or you will create a God to worship. But we all have to worship something. And so there's the reality of worship. But then the Puritans would know that there was a commitment to worship God as a house. And every house had to make that commitment that this commitment was not left for somebody to kind of figure out say, eh, I might do this I might not no for the Puritans the question was who or what are you going to worship not will you worship and so this text and the end of it in verse 15 became almost a clarion text for them for encouraging what they called family worship or some of them would use the language of the family conference or the family altar. Conferences in this meeting coming together. Or the family altar where the family came to worship. We looked at Deuteronomy 6 already. And just a couple of observations I want to make from this passage. Verse 5, there is this command for us to have a heart that is given to worship. You are to love Yahweh your God with all your heart and all your soul and with all your strength. Not part of you, not some of you, all of you. And this worship revolves around words. Did you catch that emphasis in verses 6 through 9 when we read it? So verse 6, these words that I'm giving you today are to be in your heart. Verse 7, repeat them, these words, to your children, talk about them, these words. When you sit in your house and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Bind them, these words, as a sign on your hand and let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them, these words, on the doorposts of your house and on your city gates. There is a very word-centered spirituality that God's people were meant to have. And this becomes the pattern for all of God's people in every age. That's why we take scripture as seriously as we do. Or we ought to anyway. Precisely because from the beginning, God has ordained that the spiritual life of his people revolves around his revelation. What he has said to his people. A couple chapters on from this in Deuteronomy 8, Moses will say, God allowed you to be hungry in the wilderness. He humbled you, he says. So that you would learn 
that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. For the people of God, the way our worship and the way our lives are set up, the word of God is central and out of that flows everything else. And that's why in verse 7, especially there's this emphasis on these words being passed on to children. You are to take the truths of divine revelation and to give them to your next generation. And again, that's not an option. This is a command. These are imperatives. God is saying, this is what you will do. And so, and there were many texts, that others, other texts they would look at, some of which we'll see in just a moment, that they all pulled together and said that this need for family worship as the people of God is critical for their growth and for their happiness in the Lord. <clears throat> so with that, we should be making very good time here. I want to think through some core components of family worship. Now, I'm emphasizing components and not a method for the simple fact that this is going to morph and change over time. So, for example, with Gareth at the moment, he's two years old. He doesn't really respond. He, he acknowledges when you say things, but he can't respond to you. So, for now, our time of family worship runs about five minutes because that's what he can handle as a two-year-old we as i'll talk about in a moment we go through some catechism questions this is our catechism we go through we have we'll recite a scripture verse for him to kind of memorize and hear because again that's what he can handle at that age i'm not going to do what i do on sunday with gareth there's no point <laughs> we will sing as we sing the doxology every night and then we'll pray. And that's pretty much it. He's two. That's what he can handle. I've been in homes where they have family worship and where the kids are a lot older. It's about 20 minutes, not five. And the dad does a little bit more of a, it's not full teaching, of course, but we'll read a chapter and explain and ask questions and it's a bit more interactive. Why? Because they're older. The components remain the same even if the method changes. So I'm not going to give you a method per se, as much as here are some components and you as individuals or as couples or as families, you figure out what works best in your context. So with that in mind, here's a word from another Puritan, Richard Cecil. He said that let family worship be short, savory, simple, plain, tender and heavenly good way to put it let it be sure appropriate to how much people can handle without doing too much savory the idea there is that it's worth that you're basically wetting the appetite people want to come and do this it's simple this is not the time for you to come and show off how much theology you know this is meant to be simple related to that plane it's to the point it's tender. This is family worship. This is a time for openness and a time for... Oh, this, I was thinking to Joel Beakey as I was putting this together last week. And he talked about, you know, one of the excuses he hears from fathers is, well, I, I was going to do it and then, you know, I yelled at my kid that day. Like, they don't want to hear that from me. He's like, no, that's the perfect time for you to do it. 
He said, that's the perfect opportunity for you to humble yourself before them and repent. <laughs> so far from saying, oh, I'm not going to do it today because I have a short with my kid. No, that's the time he said to say, you know, kids, before we do this. So if it's one of the kids, okay, kid, you saw me get short with you today. That was sinful. God says it's sinful. This is why. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? That's a beautiful example. It is. You're setting the example that this is how we deal with conflict. Or this is how we deal with sin. So far from it being a sort of rote, unfeeling, you know, when the clock strikes a certain time, get, get your behind in a chair, get a Bible, let's do this. No, make it tender. Show this is coming from the heart. And of course, make it heavenly. Make this God-centered. It's not about you. It's about glorifying the Lord. That's why we do this. So with that in mind, let's think through some components. Of course, the first of these is prayer. Prayer. And I think when we look in the Bible, particularly where families often say, you see two types of prayer. You see thanksgiving. Thanking God for who he is and what he's done. But tell me to the book of Job, because you also see intercession. I think this is a critical passage. Book of Job. Let's see it for a sec. Job chapter 1. In fact, if somebody could read Job 1 5 for me when they get there. Job chapter 1 and verse 5. When the days of feasting had completed their cycle, Job would send and consecrate them, rising up early in the morning and offering burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, Perhaps my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did continue. So again, you see this pattern in the life of Job that is emphasized for us in Job 1? That he is offering up burnt offerings, offerings for the purpose of dealing with sin on the behalf of his children. Of course, there are covenantal differences here. We are not under the old covenant. We do not offer sacrifices for sins, obviously. But the principle is he's offering up prayer in the context of worship, readily acknowledging that perhaps my children have sinned, as the CSB says, having cursed God in their hearts. There's a degree to which what we do in family worship is not just prayers of thanksgiving, but also prayers of intercession, where we are coming together as a family and you as the head of the family are representing the family in prayer thanking God for who he is and what he's done confessing the shortcomings that we all know as human beings and asking for God's mercy and forgiveness that we already have in Christ now if you say okay well alright fine but I'm not really good at leading in prayer I struggle with this well there's actually a really good resource on this. It's called A Way to Pray. I should have actually bought my copy out here and I didn't. Um, this is based on Matthew Henry's book. Um, it's not based, it's basically the same book. Matthew Henry, the famous commentator, wrote a book called A Method for Prayer. And what he does is, in fact, give me a moment, grab coffee, grab something to eat. I'm going to grab my copy real quick. I'll be right back. What do you want? <laughs> 
Taylor, what are you up to these days? Oh, just kind of go, going back and forth from Joe's, and then on the weekends I'm up at my dad's. Okay. Um, and then I'm out there going to uh, Grace Bible out in Talent. So, yeah. yeah. <coughs> kind of switched it up. Okay. It's where I need to be, I think. Nice. Cool. Here we go to that restaurant on the corner there? I haven't. I've thought about it. Cause, uh, Pretty good. Yeah, looks like it's always got people in there. So. Pump house, really good burgers. So it depends. I loaned it to someone and didn't get it back, which is annoying. Was it? No, it was not someone at our church. I think I know who has it. But okay. essentially what this book is, is Matthew Henry gives you a bunch of topics for prayer, kind of breaks them down some more, and then he gives you scripture verses to help you think about each of these topics. So if you say, well, okay, I'm not always like quick on my feet when it comes to praying and it just sounds like I say the same thing every time, this might be a helpful resource for you because it gives you topics that you can cycle through just every time you get together and when you get done, start it over and after a while, it just becomes second nature and you won't even need the book anymore. Nice. So a biblical way to pray, a biblical method for enriching your prayer life, highly recommend that resource. Thomas Brooks, the Puritan, said, A family without prayer is like a house without a roof, open and exposed to all the storms of heaven. Again, James chapter, I believe it's James chapter 4. You do not have because you do not ask. And when you ask, you ask wrongly, so that you can consume it on your lusts. Another resource I know is there, because right next to Dad, if you want to pass that to me, um, it's, nope, not that one. Um, <laughs> green book on the yeah, top of that pile there. Yes. Thank you. Mm-hmm. If you want another resource to help you with topics for prayer and what have you, Be Thou My Vision, a liturgy for daily worship by Jonathan Gibson. Now, I'm not just recommending this because I happen to know Jonathan Gibson. Um, I'm recommending this because actually it's a really good tool. It's built for 31 days. You kind of do it for 31 days and cycle through. And it gives you topics for prayer, like adoration, confession, assurance, prayers for illumination, prayers for intercession. You just build it in with your regular Bible reading that you would do. 
and it gives you a format that you can use. Mm -hmm. So again, another helpful tool for thinking through this. But we want our times of family worship to be times that include prayer. The second component, of course, is to read the scriptures. So in prayer, we speak to God. In the reading of the scripture, God speaks to us. And really, this begins with your own personal habits in the word. If you're not in the word, you're not going to have anything to give anybody out of the word. You know, if the well of your own soul is dry, you're not going to be able to draw anything out of it to give to anybody else. And so really, this just begins with your own personal word habits, as I like to call them. And really what you're doing in this, you're not, again, one thing that I often hear from guys when they, we, this topic comes on is, man, I'm not a preacher, I can't do all of that stuff that you, know, you preacher types do on Sunday. Well, no one's asking you to. <laughs> really, we're asking you to read the text, explain the text, and exhort from the text. Read the text, explain what's happening in it, and exhort from the text. Give some positive or negative if a sin is mentioned. You know, highlight that. If there's a promise that's mentioned, highlight that. If there is something we learn about the Lord Jesus or our uh, triune God, mention that. But read, explain, and exhort from the text. You know, so yes, go ahead. One thing that's, um, uh, we were doing this for some time, but it's been reinforced with our, um, you know, more robust liturgy, if you want to call it that, at, 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 our, at the Redeemer uh -huh. these last number of months, particularly the um, prayer of confession. Uh -huh. um, as you know, when Mom and I read, we, we go through a Bible reading plan, and I, I would say, uh, particularly as right now, uh, in the Old Testament, when we're when we're uh, in the uh, the portion of the kingdoms that are about ready to just be hauled away in exile and everything, um, uh, you know we. As we're reading, we are acknowledging in prayer that we're just like the, those, by, but by accept God's grace, we would be off worshiping other things. And we even mm -hmm. struggle to, to this day mm -hmm. to have our hearts stripped away to worship. And we confess that, we ask for God's strength. So um, in praying through the scriptures, in seeing what the the section of reading it's prompting us to acknowledge how easily our hearts would be mm -hmm. drawn to do the same things that those mm -hmm. those in that section are doing yep. absolutely absolutely and uh, that's how we want to be reading our bibles whether that's personally or in family worship yeah. to you know i think there's an unhealthy way to kind of read yourself into the characters of the bible mm. but i think there's a healthy way to do that too mm. and more often than not it's usually in the ways that they aren't following the Lord with their hearts as they should. <laughs> and so as we read the scriptures, again, we want to read the text, explain the text, and exhort from it. And again, if you feel like, okay, I don't really know my Bible well enough. 
you know, you can't say, well, I'm going to wait till I know my Bible well enough and then I'm going to do it. You kind of don't have that option. But again, we are blessed in an age where there are so many really great resources that one can draw on. For example, there's this. Um, Joe Beakey's uh, publishing ministry, uh, Reformation Heritage Books. And all these resources are on the other side of the handout at the bottom there. So, um, Joe Beakey's resource ministry puts out what they call the Family Worship Bible Guide. They produced a study Bible a few years ago. And in producing the study Bible, one of the things they wanted to do was to encourage more family worship. So what they did, in my opinion, quite cleverly, was they, at the end of every chapter, included three or four prompts to help, fam to help fathers lead in family worship. Just as you've read the passage, here are some questions to either teach from if you've got younger kids or to generate some discussion if you've got older kids. Well, since the, study, since the study Bible was in the King James Version, and not many people these days, even in our reform circles, use the KJV, there was a big demand for, oh, can we have these prompts in a format that we can use with our existing Bibles? And so they did. And so for every chapter of the Bible, all 1,189 of them, there is a brief explanation of the passage, some questions, and they did that for every chapter. So even if you say, well, I don't know my Bible too well, someone has at least done some of the work for you. Another thing I'd recommend is just having a good study Bible to hand for when you read something and something gets a little more complicated. Again, we're blessed with some really great ones. You know, Crossway has their ESV study Bible. There's, of course, MacArthur study Bible available in the New King James, New American Standard, ESV. Of course, there's the Reformation Study Bible, put up by Ligonier. That there are really great resources that are available so that you could read a passage, understand what it means, and then speak in terms of application as to how that applies. So we see prayer, the ministry of the word. Let me pause for a moment. We've got some good time, so let me pause. Any questions, stuff that arises from what we've said so far before I move on? All right, we'll keep pushing on then. The next component is the component of catechism. And this may be the one that's most foreign to most of us. Unless you grew up Roman Catholic or Anglican or Presbyterian, the good kind anyway. Generally speaking, the idea of catechism is new to lots of people. So what do we mean when we say catechism? Well, we're simply just talking using question and answers to communicate biblical doctrine, basic biblical doctrine. Uh, catechism, like I said, it's question and answer. You get a question, that's for the person teaching, and then here's an answer for the person who's learning to remember and to recite. They're in a, I would argue that they're an efficient way of fulfilling that command that we saw in Deuteronomy 6. If you want a nice, easy way to be able to talk about these things regularly, put it in a form that's memorable. Now, I will say this. There is a healthy way to use catechisms in family worship and an unhealthy way. A healthy way is we want to reinforce what we're seeing from the scripture as we directly engage with scripture by okay putting this together in some clear categories that are easy to remember. I 
personally think it's very unhelpful when we often unconsciously elevate these creeds and catechisms to the level of the scripture almost as though hey even if you don't if you don't get scripture that's okay just remember this catechism answer and it just becomes rote memory just rote learning rather than okay show me in the bible how they got there now maybe not the most appropriate when you've got little kids so for example i picked where did i put it ah so this is a resource that we use um, put out by Tom Askell and the folks at Founders. Um, it's called the Truth and Grace Memory Book. Books. They have them in three volumes. I have all three. Um, this is volume one. And what this does, this was put together by uh, Tom Askell, really for his own children, and since then he's published it and made it available. And the catechism they use in this is a fairly simple one. It's called a Catechism for Boys and Girls. And the thing I appreciate about this, and good use of catechism, is each one of these is buttressed by scripture. So if you're dealing with an older kid, rather than just read it to them, show it to them where it came out of the Bible. Put the emphasis where the emphasis should be, which is God's word, which is the final authority. We believe whatever this catechism says, not because the catechism says it. We believe it because it is a true, we argue it is a true and faithful witness to what God has said in his word. This is a Baptistic one. So thankfully I'm not having to edit the sections on baptism like I would if I was using something like the Westminster Shorter. Because I don't believe in the baptism of babies. But even if, even if I were using the Westminster Shorter, and I know some of my friends who do. If I got to those sections, I would say, listen, God's word doesn't teach that, and let me show you why it doesn't. I respect my Presbyterian and Reformed brethren. I love them in the Lord, but I don't agree with them on that point. Because again, what's the emphasis? What's the foundation? The foundation is not the creed or the catechism or the confession for that matter. They're helpful tools, but they're only so helpful as they conform to what we read in the pages of Scripture. But that doesn't mean that they're not useful. They're incredibly useful. So, again, taking a little bit of time every day, whether it's just doing one question, or if they're a younger kid, kind of just doing a handful with them and just reciting them every day, it can be a helpful way for them to learn not just the content of the Bible, but the doctrinal teachings of the Bible. And there are other catechisms as well. You know, Spurgeon put one out, which was an, edi an edited work based on another early catechism called Keech's Catechism. Uh, you can get that one. Um, those of you at Redeemer, you're familiar with this one. Uh, an Orthodox Catechism by Hercules Collins, um, taken from the Heidelberg Catechism, and the stuff on Paedobaptism taken out, and replaced with stuff on Credobaptism. Whichever one you choose to use. I think it's a healthy thing for us to use in our family worship to learn again not just the content of the bible we get that from reading the scriptures and explaining it but to also to also sort of synthesize that content showing okay this connects with this connects with this leading us to this truth i think that's perfectly legitimate and something that should be encouraged talking about catechism i would say make it manageable for younger kids you know 
the reality is you're not going to get a kid to memorize all hundred and something questions of, let's say, Spurgeon's Catechism. I think it's like 137. They're not going to memorize that overnight. Be realistic. If you think about it, if your children are with you, Lord willing, for a long, let's say, age of 18, think of, if you do this every day, you've got plenty of time to do this. And I think that makes it a little more reasonable versus, they're going to memorize by the time they're five. Like, relax, they're not going to memorize by the time they're five. <laughs> Be realistic. It's better to do, let's say, this is our question for the week. They get that down. All right, you feel you understand that? You feel, okay, let's move to the next one. In the case of Gareth, what we do with him is we will just read and repeat the first five questions of the catechism we're doing. Occasionally you'll hear him kind of babbling it to himself every now and again, but so far he's not done too great on telling it back to us. But that's not the point. The point is we're making this a regular habit. He's getting used to this. And don't be afraid to periodically review it as you do it. You know, ask the kids, hey, What's question so-and-so? Again, don't make it competitive because kids take that personally. Be wise. <laughs> but, hey, what's question so-and-so? What does that teach us? Take time again. Do 26. Talk about these things regularly. Here's one that we often don't think about. Sing. A favorite Puritan text on this subject was Deuteron- was not Deuteronomy, excuse me. Psalm 118 verses 15 and 16. I'm quoting this from the ESV. It says, Glad songs of salvation are in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. The right hand of the Lord exalts. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. Verse 15 is what I want to draw your attention to. Do you know what it says are characteristics of the tents, the houses of the righteous? Glad songs of salvation. Kofi, that's in the Old Testament. That doesn't apply today. Well, Ephesians chapter 5. Let's look at that one real quick. Ephesians 5.18. Someone want to read that when they get there? Ephesians 5.18. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation. So be filled with the Spirit. Oh, 19 as well, please. Oh. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to God and the Father. So, what does Paul say is one of the marks of somebody who is filled with the Spirit? In verse 19? We speak to one another in psalms and hymns mm-hmm. and in spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. Part of the evidence that a people have or experiencing the regular filling of the Spirit is they sing. <laughs> now at this point, somebody say, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I can't sing. Like, I could not hit a note if you painted it in 30 feet on the side of a barn. Like, it's not going to happen. Well, first of all, can I put it to you that most of us actually can sing. We just haven't been taught. As much as I love our more contemporary sounding music, I listen to a lot of it. I like a lot of it. 
I do think one thing that we lose from a hymnal. I'll put my hymnals back in the office. Um, one thing we miss from hymnals is the ability to know how to sing. Even if you can't read music, you see movement. You see how long to hold a note versus, okay, this is shorter, this is long. Like, even if you can't sing, you learn how to sing because it's showing you movement. I think we've lost some of that. Personally, that's an opinion. I'm not gonna, I don't think there's a hard biblical case that says you must use hymnals in worship. The early church more than likely did not use hymnals. So let's just be honest about that. That being said, I do think that there is something valuable in men learning how to sing. Here's the beautiful thing. In 2022, it's never been easier to learn. I told myself that I was going to wait till Gareth was two years old before we started doing family worship with him. I just kind of realized trying to do it earlier than that, not going to happen. So I said, you know, when he turns two, which was this year, when that date became approaching, that's in, hmm, I think I can sing okay. My mother was a song leader in church. She kind of taught me how to sing, kind of. I think I can do okay. But I want to be better at this. So I did what most of us do when we want to, when we want to learn something in 2022. What do we do? Watch a YouTube video. I watched a YouTube video. <laughs> yeah. I literally typed in how to sing better as a guy. <laughs> and I was stunned by how many videos there were. <laughs> but I think someone else is asking this question regularly. <laughs> There were, there were lots of them. And it was great. So, sat in my office and I practiced it. I have a, I have a very healthy collection of hymnals and psalters. So I just grabbed them, picked some of my favorite hymns and I was like, okay, I'm gonna put some of this to practice. Again, nobody's gonna sign me on a record deal. I'm quite content with that reality. But, Every night when we sing the doxology, it doesn't sound like a cat screeching, thankfully. Good to know. Yeah. I think it doesn't anyway. Laura hasn't said otherwise, and Gareth doesn't cry, so there we are. Um, Get you on the schedule, you know. How about we not do that? But, uh, let's leave that for the professionals. But we can actually, brothers, being conscious, we can actually do this. Like, most of us can sing, we just haven't been taught. So be encouraged, you can actually learn. And I was encouraging you to sing all the categories of biblical songs. I was, uh, Eddie and Tiffany came over on Saturday and we, I was telling them that I think one of the things that I think is tragic is that we don't sing more psalms in our worship. Broadly, I'm just singing the church in general. Like, we don't sing more psalms. And I don't know why we don't. Because the psalms cover the full range of human emotion. Better than anything we could write. There are things that are said in the Psalter that if we said them by ourselves, we would say they were sacrilegious and disrespectful. But God inspired them and put them in his word. Yeah. But, so let's. Sorry? Let's include some Psalters in... I don't disagree. In I also don't make no decisions. So, <laughs> I, as you, the Washington team will tell you, I give them full independence. You all, I trust you guys. Do we, I've never once told them, don't sing this. <laughs> One, I'm not an expert on half that stuff, so leave it to the experts. Two, they pick great songs generally. And again, I say this not as an indictment of our church at all. Just in general, we don't sing many psalms. 
And I think we're missing something in our worship. Because the Psalms are God's word. They're songs that he gives to his people. So sing psalms, sing hymns, sing spiritual songs. Honestly, I think in our reform circles, we don't do very well on the spiritual song side. Songs that talk about our experience of what God has done. Because we're very wary of me-centered music, rightfully so. Because we're wary, at times we don't always do well on the spiritual experience side. You know, hymns like, I ask the Lord that I might grow. I mean, the guy who wrote that, William Cowper, suffered with depression the vast majority of his life. And the music reflects that. So let's sing all of these songs. And let's learn to sing them in our homes. Okay, Kofi, I really can't sing and I really can't do this. Okay. YouTube is your friend. There are, lyric, there are lyric videos of recordings of these songs with the words that you can literally just pull up on your phone, pull up on your TV, and sing along. People sing the scriptures. I find songs mm -hmm. from almost every... anything. Yeah. Uh, I've, I've learned so many memorization of certain passages just because I found someone who worked out a really great melody mm -hmm. and sang the scriptures. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that's what we, me and my son, always in the car throwing it on and uh mm -hmm. it's great it makes you even yeah, there you go. absolutely yeah. absolutely really so i have a question Kobe. all right so we won't sing songs that have like pretty bad theology right at least well, we, i hope not yeah <laughs> no, not, i mean our our particular church yeah just in general yes in general but how do we feel about when a faithfully orthodox person makes a good theologically sound song, but then walks away later. You know. <laughs> Ooh, how far, how far under the rabbit hole do we want to go? Yeah, we could go down rabbit hole with some hymns too on that. Yeah, yeah. no, yeah. absolutely. That's what you know what? Let's just put one out there. It is well. Yeah. 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 That guy went off the creed. Horatius Spafford apostatized. He did. It's that's not a opinion. That's a matter of history. Horatius Bonar? No, uh, Spafford, the guy who wrote it as well. Oh. oh okay. Um. No, Horatius Bonar was good to these. I was gonna say. No. What? No, no, no. My favorite No, he's good. No, he's good. He's good. He's good. Um, <laughs> no, he's fine. He's fine. Um. That's a reality. He did. What do we do with that? Or we'll pick another one. Um, we're not seeing many of his today, but actually occasionally you might, depending where you go. Uh, Isaac Watts wrote one of my favorite hymns until I knew the story. Um, Jesus shall reign wherever the sun does its successive journeys run. His kingdom rule from shore to shore till moon, uh, sun and moon shall wax away no more. Yeah, we see one of his. Church. Probably. Um, Isaac Watts, towards the end of his life, became a Unitarian. Abandon the Trinity. I have talked to worship guys and hymnologists across the spectrum on this. <clears throat> because I'll tell you for me, there are certain, if I know that about a certain song, I personally don't sing it. Mm. I just, in my conscience, I can't do it. Mm. Because I can't, some of you know, I throw stones very, very quickly and very heavy ones at Anything for Bethel, Hillsong, Elevation. Totally. And I don't feel bad about it. People are like, you need to be more gracious about that. No, I don't. <laughs> but, 
but I can't throw stones at that and be willing to sing the music of someone who apostatized at the same time. Mm-hmm. It's a, to me personally, that's just where my conscience is. I, mm. This is the first time I've probably said this publicly. I very rarely talk about this. Because mm. again, it's just where my conscience is on the issue. So for instance, I don't generally sing it as well. Which can be very, which can be very awkward in certain places. One day I'll tell you the story of the guy at Shepherds who gave me a good telling off for that. That's one of um, my favorite hymns. I had no clue. Most people I had don't. No clue. And so, like, I again, you want to be charitable with people. You charge it to their hearts, not to their heads. Most people just don't know that stuff. But you now, for me personally, I personally don't. Yeah, and I, I, and I think that's probably. Um, and I, Picking this up, mm-hmm. yeah, by all means. Uh, that it's a, a, it's a matter of conscience, individual mm-hmm. conscience. Yeah. So, and, and the same thing can go for uh, reading uh, some a book that someone wrote, right. mm-hmm. uh, and then twenty five years later they, you know, whatever. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, not just, and so then you you, you know, given all that, there's more than enough. Faithful oh, yeah. to the yeah. end, songwriters and mm-hmm. book writers. Mm-hmm. We we don't we don't have to pick something just to agree. You know, yeah. So <clears throat> so with all that said, you know people may or may not know something about mm-hmm. the choices that uh, someone made at a certain mm-hmm. point in life and whatever. And you know you just um so it's a matter of conscience no i'm 100 with you and that's where i'm at with it you know yeah and i, and I took yeah. that from you on that. oh yeah but you know just i personally i don't same with books so for example some of you remember a name artazodia mm-hmm. oh yeah if you don't know the name um artazodia was a very prominent pastor in reform circles actually taught at western seminary up in portland great teacher immense public speaker had the opportunity to meet him a couple of times and thank him for his ministry I remember where I was when I heard the news. We were coming back from the cruise we took. Mm, We were flying back. In fact, we were in the airport when one of my friends who studied at Western sends me a message and says, bro, we just got an email. Art Azudi has been fired from the seminary. What on earth for? (laughs) Well, it came out that for 10 years, he had been living in an extramarital affair. I know two different extramarital affairs with women in previous pastorates for 10 years straight. Yeah. And now I do the calculations, like, wait a minute. That means all the times I heard him in the UK, that was happening. Like, I still have the picture. I took a picture with the man. Like, that guy could preach. Yeah, well, and in and, that case, that was what what my, someone heard in the sermon mm-hmm. or something was was during a period of time mm-hmm. when the individual was in blatant sin, mm-hmm. as opposed to maybe a yeah. situation where you know twenty years ago. He was great, and then yeah, and no, then, I, I'm with you. Yeah. Like, but basically, during the entire time that he was prominent. Yeah. Wow. And I remember, like, I told Laura, I remember we were in, um, was it Logan the airport in Boston? Mm-hmm. That was it. I was like, oh, babe, this is nuts. <laughs> like, it took me a minute. And she was just like, okay, well. She's like, I'm completely horrified by that. I don't even know what to do with that. 
Well, I had a long, we had a long journey back from the other end of the country. <laughs> Gave me a lot of time. To, I got home. I had pretty much every book he wrote on preaching. Took them off my shelf and I politely put them in the trash. I was like, I can't read this. Because he wrote all these books at the same time. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing with Ravi Zacharias, those of you who know that story. I'm not even talk too much about that because I get angry every time I think about it. He was basically abusing women for decades and got away with it. Um, some of you may know the YouTuber Mike Winger. Mm-hmm. Um, no, no, no. He didn't. No, no. He's good. He's good. He's good. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, no, no. Mike Winger was good. He's good. Um, everyone except he's fine. Um, I remember when that whole came out. He did a video where, if you know Mike Winger, he's generally very calm. It's a Calvary Chapel guy. Like, they're all nice. <laughs> like he's. Su- I mean, he's super smart. I like him a lot. For a guy who's not reformed, he's one of my favorite guys. Yeah. But he did a video on this and he he went off. Like at one point he literally was like, you know what? In the middle of a video, grab like I've got one of his books right here. Stuck in the trash, I was like, I'm not reading this. Because again, it's not I heard him speak. 2018, went to the West Coast Ligonier event up in Seattle. Actually it was a birthday present from Mom and Dad. <laughs> um, <laughs> heard him speak. It was alright. I don't think it was the greatest thing I'd ever heard, but yeah, it, you can never get her, her solid answers sometimes. Yeah, I agree. He was, yeah. But we'll put that aside. I simply bring that up because I think it's a legitimate question. What do we do with people who are living in blatant sin or who apostatize? You know, how does that influence how we view that? You know, someone asked me, like, there was, at the time, someone who was a big Azurdia fan and wanted to show him grace. It's not that big a deal. Oh, I hate that phrase. But anyway, I was like, Look, I'm not reading his stuff. Not now, not ever. It's done. He was like, so what, if John MacArthur did that tomorrow, you would? And I was like, yeah. If John MacArthur did that tomorrow, I've got all his commentaries sitting on my shelf. I would grab every one, grab his study Bible, got one right there, grab all of them, in the trash they go. <laughs> That's hard. It is hard. I don't say that callously. It's just the reality that if it came out that for the last 50 years of his ministry, he was up to all sorts behind closed doors. Disqualified. There. Yo! Yeah. One, that would be huge. Two, that puts everything he did in a very different light. Mm-hmm. Totally. So again, again, this is a personal opinion I have on that. You guys are two-thirds of the worship team. I'm not asking you to make any decisions based on that. <laughs> like, that's just where I'm at personally. And I agree with that. It is a matter of conscience. Well, certainly. Certainly, so within reason, of course. Yeah, yes. I mean, I think the Azurgia stuff is yeah. pretty clear cut. Yeah. Whereas the one where Rip, yeah. Dr. Watson, example, might yeah. be the one where you go, well, you know, he, he, he wrote when he was in his 20s or mm-hmm. 30s. The content is so biblically solid. You mm-hmm. know, I, maybe I can, yeah. I'll make a case for that, but, you know, uh, but acknowledging that. Yeah, no, I agree. And I, like I said, this is. It's a, a, yeah. honest. Sincere decision mm-hmm. to not do and be totally yeah. But get I could get. And like I said, um, I had an opportunity to speak to you. So some of you may know the name Philip Webb. Mm-hmm. Um, so Philip Webb is a opera singer, opera singer, yeah. a member at Grace Church. The hymnal that they put out, Hymns of Grace, also the Psalter they're working on, Psalms of Grace. He's the head honcho on that one. If you ever heard him sing. It's good. Yeah. That boy's scarily good. <laughs> He's very good. Um, he came to the G3 conference one year, just kind of last minute. They asked him to 
I think he was in uh, Atlanta for something and they asked him to come. He came with like zero prep, sang, blew the doors off the building. Um, and he was hanging around afterwards. And so he was just sitting there waiting for his Uber and I'm stand- I realized, wait a minute, I'm standing right next to him. So we chatted for a little bit and I asked him this particular question. I was like, yeah, I'm just curious, as somebody who, you know, doctorate of music, you know, has sung all over the world, like you've, had, you've been a music minister at various churches, you're now at Grace. How do you navigate that? And he said, you know, um, he said, even we're not in agreement at Grace on how to handle it. Mm-hmm. At the time, Grace's music minister was a wonderful man called Clayton Herb. Um, if you've ever been to a Shepherd's Conference, he was always the guy leading, at least at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Older gentleman, fun fact, never married. Mm-hmm. Um, he said, yeah, Clayton takes one stance. Um, his assistant, who's now the lead minister, minister of music, real Brandon scene, um, he takes another stance. Stance. Dr. MacArthur takes a different view. Half the eldership take a totally different view. It's like we haven't one hundred percent agreed on it, and so we've kind of just left it as a matter of conscience. Whoever is leading, they pick it, and people sing, and some people don't. Mm-hmm. I was like, you know, that's a good way to do it. I mean, I'm naturally a very hardline person. I like black and white. But I was like, you know what? I can let that be an issue of conscience, because then not everyone knows everything. Everyone researches this stuff. I'm hyper paranoid about that, coming from a charismatic background. So I'm really cautious where songs come from. But that's just me. Not everyone shares that. And that's fine. So indeed a matter of conscience for sure. I've got nine minutes. So let me see if I can. Actually, I'm almost near the end. I can't get through this. So let's put all this together. We've talked about these various components. Prayer, scripture, catechism and singing. Okay, we've got all these components. Now let's think about putting them together. Honestly, you can do this in 15 to 20 minutes. Which I think is much more man. In fact, even less if the kid's younger. If it's just you and your wife, it's even easier. You're both adults. <laughs> like this doesn't have to be a long thing. The power of family worship is not in how long you do it, but in how regular you are about it. If I'm doing something for five minutes every day, it's better than me trying. I'm trying to pick up playing the bass again, and not doing a good job of it. Because I'm just so busy, I don't have the, they say, what, 30 minutes a day is supposed to practice? Some days I don't have 30 minutes a day. So I end up, like, trying to do, like, an hour on, like, Friday, just to kind of take my mind off sermon prep for a minute. Okay, that's great. But then it's like, probably could have been better if I'd just done 30 minutes throughout the week. <laughs> like, the reality is, you're going to get far more out of it if you make it regular than if you make it long. Here's a general idea. Open up in prayer. I forgot to put singing there. But open up in prayer. Maybe read a passage of scripture first. If you're working your way through a book of the book, pick up the next chapter, the next set of verses. Read them. Explain them. If you've got kids who are older, dialogue about it some. Do a catechism question. Sing a song. Close out in prayer. Again, not a massive format. You may find, you know what? Maybe with the kid I've got, like, me trying to do a whole chapter's long. Let's just do a verse. <laughs> okay. My kids are a little older. We can do a little more. Or maybe, you know what? Maybe I should do, like, like there are resources like the Child Story Bible by Catherine Voss, that Banner of Truth print, um, amazing uh, kid's story book, which actually deals with substantive stories in the Bible. Um, Kevin DeYoung has just put out The Biggest Story, 
Um, didn't I just put like a story Bible version? That's actually really good. I picked one up. Um, maybe you want to start with that for your younger child. If you're older or you got older kids, okay. Have them. Joe Beaky says he did this with his children as they got older. They would read the same passage, but he would give them more different study Bibles. Hey, what does the note say on that one? What does the note say on that one? And get them actively involved. Said it worked for him. It might not work for some another family. But I think again, making this simple, just we apply ourselves to these components and we do them. I think in the long run, help. So some final pointers, and I'll close out. First of all, brothers, be encouraged. We can do this. Like we're imminently capable of doing this. Like we can do this. Maybe we decide to start and it doesn't work out. I would love to tell you that Gareth is nice and quiet and sits there every day. That would be telling a lie. <laughs> he doesn't. No. no. Um, Mum and Dad have seen me try to do it with him when he's not cooperating. It's okay. Like, you do what you can with what you have. <laughs> he's a typical two-year-old. Exactly, he's a two-year-old. He'll grow out of it. <laughs> At least I hope so. <laughs> but no, he will. Um, but again, you do what you can. Don't be discouraged like, oh, it didn't work out today. Like, it was chaos. They're not interested. Okay, try again tomorrow. If at first you don't succeed, try, try again. On a practical level, again, pick a time when people will be engaged. You know, trying to do it late at night, again, flashbacks of my childhood, my dad being upset. Why are you sleeping? Because I'm supposed to be sleeping. Again, uh, Joe Beaky, who's really been a figurehead and kind of spearhead, spearheading a revival of this. He said what they did was, as soon as they finished dinner, everyone was good. That, that's when they did it. Like, it wasn't even like, we'll do the dishes. Like, no, we'll come back and do it afterwards. But, okay, we've just had dinner. That's what we've found works best. Yep, just right after dinner. Everyone's kind of in the zone anyway. Just round the table. Okay, let's do it. You can pick a time when folks will be engaged. And like I said, just be consistent with it. No, just be consistent with it. With that, I'm done. Like I said, this is not a huge thing and we're not trying to make it legalistic and a bunch of a thousand and one rules. Um, there were some Puritans, Richard Baxter, not always his biggest fan. This is one area I'm not. Apparently he would go around from house to house checking that families were doing this and if they weren't, <laughs> he would discipline the husbands. Relax. <laughs> I understand that this was important. Of course it is. Sorry, threatening people. Like I said, those of you who are at Redeem on Sunday. Um, threatening people into doing something does not give you their best. <laughs> this is human nature. I might do what you say, but I'm not going to like it. <laughs> I'm, sure enough gonna, I'm sure enough not going to do it well. <laughs> so again, like we're not going to do that. That's not ever going to be the case at Redeem. But I did want to do this with our guys because I think it's worth thinking about. And I think there are incredible blessings to doing it. With that, I'm done. Any questions, thoughts? Yeah, question. Okay. Um, Nate, so how do you do your family worship? Good question. You've got five kids? Yeah, so yes. <laughs> we do the, like... They all have an instrument? Yeah, we sing for half an hour. No. <laughs> no, it's been a... And it's been a work in progress, too, to find out the, what works the best. But we found, like, after dinner, everybody's at the table... And and keeping it really short, yeah. and because 
if it goes too long, everybody's checked out. So, and we've kind of, like, I went through the entire book of Genesis. We just, just one chapter at a time. And now we're just doing, like, a kid's Bible. Um, I can't remember which one, but just read through it. But, like, yeah, I found that the less is more when doing it. It's, like, keeping it short. And, um, and, like, you know, Kofi, you were saying, oh, some people are, like, uh, you know, I don't, I'm not a pastor, I can't, you know, exegete very well, but <clears throat> sometimes just reading through it, and, like, the kids asking questions, I mean, if you just have a study Bible, you can answer most, uh -huh. most of them if you don't know, and if you, you know, if you're not getting the answer from there, it's a, I found it's a it's a great opportunity to walk the kids through like okay if we don't know something like how do we go find out like mm. where do we go uh -huh. how, how do we figure out an answer to something that we don't know so that's a good opportunity um, not just be like a know it all about the Bible but like yeah sometimes we don't know and we gotta figure it out so so yeah does cool. that answer your question yeah. There you go, folks. A living, breathing example of how to do it. Yeah, just keep it as simple as possible. Yeah. Yeah, when I was in the marketing world, um, one of the first things he told me was kiss. Keep it simple, stupid. <laughs> like, if you're trying to market something or do something, if it's too complicated, you've messed up. Keep it simple, stupid. My situation's hard sometimes. Mm -hmm. 